Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Co-Creating with AI. I'm Martin Schellström, and with me today is, as always, Rasmus. How are you today, Rasmus? Uh, I'm good. I was a little bit sick last week, but now I'm um, I'm recovered. So it's very nice. Uh, back in the house after some travels. Um, yeah, so looking forward to, to chat today. How are you? I'm good. Having a nice... Uh, Summer day, raining yesterday, sunshine today, so it's all good. And um, I'm super stoked about today's episode. We're going to talk about uh, the importance of context in uh, in working with AI LLMs. Uh, how, how would you frame that as a subject? I mean, I guess just framing like the way I think. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but at least if you have like a bit of a sci-fi background and you've read that kind of thing. So when you, when you look at like books where you have these like uh, super intelligences in the future, these, these real AGIs that are even sentient, like the way they, they're usually described is something like being super smart, right? Mm -hmm. But also being able to use all the vast amount of data that are out there. Uh, so, um, I mean, basically, you know, being able to in real time, take all of the information about, you know, whatever, weather, financial markets, uh, like uh, human movement, et cetera, et cetera, science, and um, use that data uh, and, and apply their intelligence to it to, you know, innovate and come to conclusions and uh, just be vastly, uh, vastly uh, better at decision making than, than humans. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you'll, you'll uh, most likely, uh, you know, explain the, the technical side of this. Uh, better than I will, but it's just interesting now that we're moving from, say, you know, the first applications of GPT-3, the big ones were like Jasper, you know, write me a blog post. And uh, and what that is, is, you know, pretty much all on the creative side, almost, you know, maybe you give it a subject, maybe you give it a little bit of an idea of a blog post, and then it uses, you know, its um, knowledge of all the blog posts out there, which it's trained on. Mm. And... Uh, and thus the next word prediction in order to write something uh, quite uh, uh, quite high quality often. But now we're moving to you know, go beyond that and where we really want these LLMs to be able to use large amounts of data, you know, your personal data or your company data, or even you know, going to move towards your know, societal data uh, in order to apply their intelligence to. And there we're running into all sorts of barriers uh, that of course you know people are working on and solving um but yeah so I, I think that's like an interesting thing to just dive a little bit deeper into and we of course have our approach at multiply which we can you know share uh, a bit of um but yeah i mean so so what would you say martin what are like the the barriers and the challenges with actually uh, you know uh, allowing these very very intelligent models like gpt4 to use you know larger amounts of data um and what kind of strategies are people employing? Yes, and this this is actually uh, has just recently become an interesting topic for topic for me, because I was until just like one week ago, I was completely uninterested in like not completely uninterested, but it's, it's a hard statement. But um, I was I had the perspective that context management is going to be solved by larger larger context windows like we yeah we we have to manage context now with various mechanisms but it's not super interesting because it's 
soon going to be irrelevant uh, because we the, all these uh, great uh, new models are coming out, like like Claude uh, coming out with a hundred k token context window and so on. And I was thinking, it doesn't really matter. The like the the innovations going on in context windows now are and context management is just temporary a temporary need because yeah there was even a research paper lately claiming to have like a billion token context window in an LLM and and that race has been uh, like uh, gathering a lot of hype just increasing context window and then there was this super interesting counterculture counteracting paper last week where um the researchers have shown that uh larger context windows are actually not uh, that good. The models are performing really bad in the middle of the context windows. In the When it's fetching facts and reasoning from the start and the end of a big context window, it it works. Like it's uh, producing high, um, high high results, good good grades on the on the results, but but the evals are showing that in the facts and reasoning coming from the middle of the context windows are are terrible, like half the uh, precision and and half the recall, and and that's uh, so that's just terrible. And I'm a really I call it the maximizer. I I I, I really can't stand bad models, bad results, and I have. Uh, unfortunately gathered a very sensitive nose for sniffing out when a, when a LLM is is producing bad results. So I'm really sensitive to it. So I want to maximize um, the capacity of an LLM. I'm no longer interested in, in the bigger models, the, the bigger context window models. I want to have, I all of a sudden, I'm really, really interested in managing smaller context windows and and producing really high quality and what in in the input so that's the framing for me and uh, why i'm so excited to talk about this so and back to your specific question you asked uh, how what are some perspectives on how to solve this and really uh, like there's uh, this is this is the core of why Lang- langchain is such a, a popular library because Context window management is a is a, a challenge that everybody in AI development meets and and has to overcome. And Langchain is sort of a solution to that. And it's not one solution; it's a package of different strategies and tactics on how to manage context windows. And basically, the 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 number one um, what the 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 challenge that everybody needs to overcome is as soon as we have more data than what fits into the context window of, of my AI, how do we pick what data to present and and how do we what do we leave out? And and this is actually quite uh, similar to how uh, humans work. Like I I I I can't I can't uh, read everything. I can't hold everything in my mind. I need to be very selective about what what I read and what I think about and if I have to prepare for uh, a meeting or or writing a report I I need to make good decisions about which books to read with which people to talk to and and so on and the, the, just like 
um, the AI, um, um, a, a human, and I don't know if a book is going to give me what I need before I read it. And the, when the AI selects something, it makes a query to, in, into a database or we write a semantic search that, that queries a set of PDFs or something like that for what chunks should we include in the context. We actually don't know if it will be valid, like if it will be the right ones or not until we see the results. And, and um, so it, it is kind of a hard problem to overcome and hard makes it interesting. And, uh, mm. and um, so, so if, if I just ask you, like what strategies are you aware of for, for managing context window? Sure. I mean, I think like, I think an interesting um, uh, analogy that you made, like when we just pre-chatted about this episode a little bit, is like how the human, you know, intelligence and, and knowledge management work. And I think that's also relevant for like one of the main strategies employed, which is uh, vector databases. So with my like, <clears throat> and like a bit improved understanding after you shared Martin before, is that uh, you have this uh, intelligence in the in the prefrontal right uh, which is you know you could uh, compare it to like just a core next word prediction in in the neural nets uh, in in like the transformer architecture that yeah i mean all the llms are built on currently yeah and, uh, and which actually produces reasoning capabilities like they can yeah. they can make a plan they can figure out a solution to a problem which is not um apparent like that that re actually requires intelligent reasoning yeah and also learn the principles behind it so that's the interesting kind of emergent property that i was yeah. surprised about is that by training uh, the neural nets with this transformer architecture on all these like all the all this vast amount of data then we um then we basically uh it, it started understanding uh actually what things mean and how things fit together and but then you also have like in the brain, you have the memory and I'll, I'll let you speak about where that was in the brain because I think it was the hippocampus and the, and yeah, the amygdala. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and, and it's more fuzzy than that, but those are like the, cent the, the core centers of where the memory is like located. But it's interesting. So one, one uh, like obviously like very like uh, pop science kind of way of describing it i'd get uh, probably harsh feedback from my friend oliver who's a neuroscientist mm -hmm. uh, but is that we have this short-term memory and we have this long-term memory and the short-term memory uh, we actually have control over we have like we can put our attention like when when i am introduced to you you say your name i can actually make an effort to remember it short term however if i want to remember your name the next time we meet I actually have to encode it into my long-term memory, which the only way to do is actually through emotion. Uh, so that's why you should like, I imagine like Martin with the funny hat or, you know, mm -hmm. Martin, the whatever. Um, and then you'll, and that's also why you'll remember the name of everyone you've ever been attracted to uh, pretty much. Uh, just, <laughs> just, just because that's how we work. Uh, it's a strong emotion. Um, and I think that's like getting back to the lang chain and, and the strategies employed, like, uh, we basically, the way I think about it, and, and please feedback here if you have another view, it's, it's like the context window is kind of the short-term memory. So that's like, okay, that, that, and, and that's us telling the AI, you know, uh, something and then expecting it to remember it now and mm -hmm. use it to do something for us. 
And then you have uh, these vector databases and specifically running embeddings on larger data sets uh, to turn them into a vector uh, database. And then that the idea is that that should function as the long-term memory such that the AI can query through mm. semantic search its own long-term memory, similar to if I would be like, right, okay, what was the name of that? place i was there with martin in june what did we do right we were sailing there was an island what was the name of that restaurant all right it's yeah. grinda yeah um and uh so, so that's interesting um and uh, in, in terms of like the overall i just want to augment that yeah, I, I think it is super interesting like what is it that happens when we're trying to remember like the name of a person or the name of an island in your ex- example like I, I have the experience that I, I, I sort of query my brain, and then, then I just have to sit there and wait, and then, yeah. then the answer comes back or it doesn't. And like, what is it that happens? It's, I have no, there's no transparency. Like, why can't yeah. I? Why, why don't I have a, a sense of, like, what is going on? It's like a black box. Like, the, like yeah. I, I think that's super interesting. Just to, just to point out, uh, like my, my. My view perspective on on the men, uh, example you just mentioned. No, Please I agree, on. and it's no, no, it's interesting. I mean, I think I, I'm I'm uh, happy to bounce over, but it's um, and I think like the way just to double down on that example, mm. with my understanding of embeddings and and vector databases, what you basically do is you take a lot of semantic information, you take text basically or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and then you give it like you you basically. Uh, make them into numbers or you represent them through numbers in mm. order to uh, say if something is um, linked to something else. So for example, in my example, in my little uh, example, that would be, um, you know, okay, uh, I'm think I'm trying to find the name of an island. Okay. When have I ever been on an island? Mm. Uh, okay. Who was I with? What did we do on that island? It's It's like a little bit like, Okay, these things are related, and I'm using them to pull up the information I'm uh, mm. that is relevant to my query, which mm. is what's the name of the island. Um, so I, I, there, there's uh, and and I think like it's interesting. Like what 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 have what have you learned about like the where embeddings seem to work very well as a strategy, and where it's mm. lacking, and 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 what things are not yet solved. Yes. So the embeddings work well when you can have. Uh, when you can chunk the data into very um, into pieces that are semantically very coherent, and 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 then because then you can can get precise uh, embeddings on on them, like you, the embedding will actually represent what's in there. But if it's uh, if it's noisy, it's like it's program um, programmatic code, or it's uh, or it's a PDF where you just take part of the page, which includes like sidebars and and references and so on, and that are might not be relevant. Then there's a lot of noise, and the and the semantic the, the embeddings vector will point to the the center point, the average of all the words that goes into that chunk. And like if you have if if you have a chunk that talks only about one thing let's say um islands in the archipelago and and uh, like specifically islands with a restaurant and then then um maybe you will hit on that right the chunk 
But if if it's encoding both islands and restaurants, the 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 center point of that, maybe that's that's it, like it's in in that's in the middle of nowhere, so to speak, in latent yeah. space. Uh, like and if you only query islands, then you will find the right chunk. Or if you only query restaurants, uh, you will find the right chunk. But what what the AI ends up querying is islands plus restaurant and can't find anything. And and or 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 the other way around that uh, the, that chunk is unfindable. Um, but so so noise in 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 the chunks um, and um, ruins that model. And I think it's very interesting what we're doing in Multiply now, where we've actually in in the the core of our our context management, we're not using a vector store yet. It, uh, we will as well for to augment our model, but what we're doing is to actually use an LLM to to manage the context. So we so whenever we query a PDF or something, we we send uh, all the chunks of the PDF to the to the AI and we ask it what what parts do you need in order to answer this question mm. and um, and it it has a lower performance but provides much higher quality on output that's uh, okay so that's interesting so what we're saying here is like noise like the way I would when when I hear you say that it's a little bit like if I have a lot of data and that data isn't specifically organized and mm. you know into segments that directly fit my query then the embeddings will uh, say hey all of this stuff is relevant mm. and and for me that makes sense that uh, noise i mean i don't know what the relationship would be but it also almost feels like it would scale at least linearly, but maybe with like quite a high K, so to say, it would be a steep slope hmm. that if you increase the, you know, the um, amount of data, then the noise increases hmm. a lot because now all of a sudden you have uh, a lot more things that seem relevant hmm. to the task at hand. Uh, so, uh, so that's interesting. So if we would then look at that, when we have like a you know huge amounts of data that we now want the AI to um, uh, filter, uh, so to say, or like choose choose between in order to to perform the task at hand, mm -hmm. what happens then in in the case what we do right because we can't feed all like say we have you know a terabyte of data yeah. we can't chunk it all and put it into the prompt for the AI to decide between. So, so what's like, what's the, um, what's so, the kind yeah, of trade-off so, so, there? So then in that case, when we move towards terabytes of data or, or even gigabytes, so, and then, then we need to have a, a search um, strategy instead in place. And so that, and, and that's also going to be in, in multiply. It's just the, the, the second step for us. And, uh, and, and the reason why it's needed is because um, it will be too slow to go all, over all of it. It's like, I'm okay. I'm gonna. F I, I want to find information about to to um, to prepare for a meeting. So I'm gonna read the entire library, and that's not gonna mm. work. So what I mm. do is I search the database of the library and I find the one or two books 
I can I can I can read, and I'm not going to read all of those. I'm going to look in the index of the books and find what chapters to to skim through, and and skimming through is sort of what we're implementing in in uh, Multiply. So we we're using a less smart, less expensive model to skim through uh, large amounts of PDFs and and pick out what details we need, and. And what's interesting is that it's it's a trade off where we can support um, any kind of query. Um, there there are two basic uh, kinds of queries. If you think about uh, let's if we want to extract information about the Second World War, which is a like a, it's a it's there's a huge there's a terabyte of that data about this, uh, World War Two, and. It, Two, the two basic kinds of queries we can ask in AI are um, either summarize all the events of World War II. That's that that's one query. And if you ask a history professor, they can answer that. They can summarize all the events. They can you okay? They, maybe they will ask, "You want me to spend two minutes or two uh, two years to summarize yeah. it?" Like that's and the, and of course that's that's a different. Those are different tasks, but. The other basic kind of query is some something detailed, like what was the name of the British commander during the um, the invasion of Normandy or something like that, like a super specific thing. If you work from summaries, you can summarize at an even higher level. You can so in the first kind of query, you can actually if you have a sort of a hierarchical summary pyramid of a data set you can produce summaries on any new summaries on any, any level or new explanations on any level so that's that's a strategy that will work for that kind of query to have like at the top level summarize the entire world war ii and at the bottom level maybe summarize what happened on a, on a individual um, battle or a battlefield or an individual like year of uh, period of time but on the other end of the query, um, what was the name of uh, uh, of the of a specific person that had a big impact? Then, if you work from summaries, maybe that that detail is not included in the summary. So then you need a search strategy to to bring out the, the correct facts, and you can do a keyword search or you can do a um, semantic search, which is finding then it, it it will find similar results no matter what words you use. It will try to find similar results. Um, and then you can also use uh, um, this skimming strategy. Let's read everything with... They take, take the time to read a lot of data with a very cheap um, AI model. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Okay, I <clears throat> I think I get it. So two things that come to mind is, <clears throat> first of all, like we we are, we are I think like a little bit we are um, stuck in that in, in in the reality of AI inference having like a relatively high marginal cost. Mm. So <clears throat> you're paying per token, uh, and and therefore, uh, you know current applications and models you don't want it want it to work for a week on something because that would be really mm. expensive mm. however I, I i'm a 
big believer in what like Sam Altman says and other <clears throat> leaders in the space that the cost of intelligence is going to zero. We've already seen like the uh, you know exponential decrease in in the cost of AI influence just mm. over the I mean basically the first year really now of of AI being a real thing. I mean you could almost say it's not even been a year since you know if you if you take ChatGPT as the real start of it. Um, so that that's one thing, and I think that means that the strategy that we're employing as the first strategy uh, before embeddings uh, has, you know, uh, a very strong like economics trend behind it. Because maybe it is actually feasible to say, "Hey, go and read all these hundred books," or like, I mean, it should of course find the hundred relevant books first, but but read like go through all this data and extract what is relevant mm. to the task at hand, which is, you know, maybe produce an analysis on the Second World War uh, based on some new insight that has come to light after, you know, uh, some classified documents were released by the CIA or something. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's like one interesting thing uh, in terms of like the long-term viability of, of that strategy. Um, so the other thing... Uh, which we're of course taking a big bet on in multiply uh, is you know the value of actually organizing the data up front before uh you know having the ai use it so you know just to take the super simple example uh, these are all our projects tasks uh you know this is our sales pipeline uh, these are you know the development projects we have going on for each client um, you know, having that kind of organized, linked, structured data on a graph. Um, and then uh, it being much, much more easy for the AI to, you know, find it. Because mm. if the task at hand is to, you know, um, extract, you know, use all that data to answer the questions, uh, which are the top performing salespeople or the top performing developers or uh, how much uh, work, like which are the actually most profitable clients when we take into account the cost of you know specific development for them mm. because we're putting different uh, amounts of effort into uh, uh, different type of client projects and and maybe we're not billing for them because we have a subscription method or whatever subscription uh, business model or whatever um and that's i i think is very interesting is that uh, you can use llms and humans as well to organize data and mm -hmm. to organize in that sense context uh, in order to get good results. And also that you actually have this human factor in that, yeah, you can just ask a query, hey, do this for me. Uh, but you can also say, hey, do this for me. And here is the data I want you to use. So for yes. example, in ChatGPT, you know, one of the, the bigger things that people have been excited about lately is you can, I think now, uh, this is a plus um, put in like URLs and put in PDFs. Um, you can do that with Claude as well and say, hey, what are the key insights here or write the paper based on these three papers, etc." Mm -hmm. uh, so you actually have the human curation of knowledge uh, of, of, you know, creating organized data and, and, and creating like uh, or specifying context uh, before doing the query. So I really think that sort of leads us into the kind of UX side of this in terms of like, and we talked like a little bit about that before, but 
maybe you can just answer quickly or, or like just uh, give your main thoughts around like what, what is that like like how like is that like first of all do you agree with that and uh, and like uh, how do we how does that enable you know uh better output you know higher quality as you said in the beginning yeah yeah so uh i, I to summarize what you what you just described is that context also need to be co-created between between human and ai in order to produce quality output and uh, in order to facilitate that co- facilitate that co-creation we need great ux for managing context and a lot of innovation has been going into algorithmically putting together context like the, that's the entire langchain um, project so to speak uh, to do that the algorithms for that but it all happens completely invisibly to the user uh, if you don't create a good ux to represent it and hidden state is inherently bad UX. The, the, the user should be able to access the information that AI is uh, basing its decisions on and its reasoning and its generation, uh, the content generation. So um, when you have uh, models uh, based on, on AI inference, having a great UX also means visualizing what is the context used here. And yeah. uh, and that's like not only what PDF uh, or set of PDFs is used or what, what links are used, but what parts of those are actually in action in the current context. And I think there's that there's very little UX uh, innovation going on there. And uh, I, what we do at Multiply is, is uh, one of the most advanced uh, and inno- innovative uh, efforts that I'm aware of, where we, where we, Everything we do in our, our block editor is both um, ha- handling the output of the AI and the human co-creation and setting up the input. We're using yeah. and it, it, uh, and we've found this beautiful paradigm of how to use a block editor to, to uh, have blocks having the double role of input and output, which be, means that you can you can build on top of previous work in really beautiful ways. You can set up workflows that are this like chain of prompts, uh, you can say, but but in reality, like you co-create a list of what meetings. When I say co-create, I mean between human and AI. Uh, you like the humans maybe picks. I want these PDFs, and the AI can say, yeah, let's bring in these these also because they are also relevant for the task at hand, and then you you produce the output. And then, and and then the human will provide prompts and and edits on the output, and then AI can work further. So, um, what we do in in Multiply, I think, is really unique on the UX side as well as on the algorithm side. Yeah, it's interesting. Just to kind of, I think maybe it's time to start rounding off. But uh, we're going to see if it takes off this kind of search through LLM with you know Bard specifically. Um, and ChatGPT, I've seen do it as well uh, with plugins, with the browsing plugin, mm. uh, where it answers the questions and then provides, you know, the references. These are the websites I went to. These are the ref- if, for reference checking. But that's still that's still a little bit like saying, hey, here's the answer. If you really want to question it, you know, you can go read here to make sure it's accurate. But 
and that's fine for that kind of you know for simple search queries but when it comes to you know using larger amounts of data and doing more advanced things like actually seeing the context uh, chosen by the ai or together with you um, as, as a user is almost equivalent to looking into the brain of the ai yeah, you're not looking mm -hmm. into the intelligence of it, right? But but that's that's almost like an irrelevant question. You're 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 looking into the uh, the way it's uh, it's deduction. You know, mm -hmm. this is the information I used. This is how I used it. This in that order, and this is the conclusion I came to. Whether that's mm -hmm. you know writing an article or producing a report or an analysis or or whatever it is. Um, so I think there's there's definitely a uh, um, you know a step to take that further, and I really still believe like the chat interface, just like the terminal back in the day, you know when you first had the internet, you know like we spoke a little bit about with Malcolm uh, last episode. Mm -hmm. It's it's really it's really just the first step, and it will be around. Like really, mm -hmm. I really think that chat uh, will be will be around as like a way to communicate with these LLMs, but in order to like co-create with them uh, on more advanced things mm. and not just use them as an assistant, I really think that this is so key mm. uh, to sort of be, be it being able to explain properly and um, reliably. You know, because <laughs> one interesting thing is like you ask an AI to do something and then you ask it to explain why it did it. It's going to make up a reason yes. for why it did it. But mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the reason why it did it. Uh, so therefore, you need to have uh, like transparency into it actually doing it, the actual thinking process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just like final thoughts from me, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, I I can just uh, echo that. I I I really feel that uh, managing context is one of the beautifully hard problems of of uh, developing services based on AI. And uh, and I love that it's equally a computer science problem as a UX problem. That it goes like it really uh, has to. Like, you have to take into account technical factors about uh, LLMs and AI and data structures, but also how does how do humans work? How how do, how do we want to participate in in uh, forming a, a context window for an AI and and uh, what you what you talked about right now with with chat being a very common interface and it always always will be uh, it's because it's a really good way to for the for the human and ai to collaborate on building the context for further discussions and uh, and also visualize it you can scroll back and see um what what have you been talking about what is currently in play and uh, yeah and and uh, it's it's limiting in many ways, but it also has opened up for for a big explosion in AI. Da, da Vinci, um, the like, GPT three was around for it was publicly available basically for a year before ChatGPT without taking off in any sense, and then with the chat interface, boom, like the yeah. big AI explosion happened. It really, really is like the. the the AI was an amazing innovation, but the chat interface made it explode into the mainstream. Mm. 
and that speaks to the power of UX and it's that makes me super excited because the chat interface is just scratching the surface what will be the next big UX for AI yeah good question yes uh, let's explore awesome Uh, thank you Rasmus and thank you dear listener for being with us all the way and uh, if you have comments or questions or suggestions for future um, episode topics uh, talk to us I'm Martin at Multiply.co and with me is Rasmus at Multiply.co. Thank you for today. Thanks, Martin.